Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Scott, what is going on? How are you doing? What what season of The Simpsons are you on? Oh, we're on season three, and we're starting to... We're cheating on The Simpsons. We're starting to watch The Family Guy. And I want to watch The Wonder Years because I'm very emotional, but my kids will have none of it. But if, I don't know what I'd do if it wasn't for one person getting me through the crisis. Who was that? Joe Exotic. Oh, my God. Are you still doing the... T Everyone's watching the tiger thing. People move. It's so interesting. You know, they move from Love is Blind to Tiger whatever. Tiger. Tiger What's the King. name of it? Tiger King. It's genius. And what, why it really do you like genius. it? It's going to be a movie movie, apparently. It just makes you feel really good about yourself. It's like when you're driving a minivan and you need to say over and over to yourself, I like myself, I like myself. This show <laughs> says... Your life is not that bad. This show says you have good judgment. When you're watching this show, you're like, wow, I got my shit together. I, I have my shit together. It's really, it's, so it's, it's fantastic. It's more schadenfreude. That's your favorite thing, is schadenfreude. Oh, hands down, hands down. But it's it's got sex, it's got murder, it's got big cats. I've decided I'm a monkey person. Monkey people are weird, but they're not mean. Tiger people are mean, so I'm definitely a monkey you, person. Apparently there's a lady who's after him, right? There's oh, they're all lady. after each other. It's really, it's oh, really? really well done. Netflix, I just said, I always imagine what executive production or content executive goes into who and how do they pitch this shit and what kind of vision and batshit crazy vision does it take to say, oh wait, there's this gay polygamist living in, I think he's in Kentucky, who has a big cat farm, yeah. who launches a plot to murder someone who's about to be murdered, whose boyfriends are addicted to meth, and someone says, that's a go. That's, that's a, go. a go. If the minute you said gay polygamist, I'm on. That's board. a Come go. On. Come on. <laughs> you could that's never be. You know what? I watched. Speaking of Netflix, is really. I, I'm really exploring Netflix. Is uh, unorthodox. It's about a yeah, woman who. People love it. It's a story. It's really good. Like What's I watched more serious. Hi. It's about a woman who leaves uh, a Hasidic uh, sect in Williamsburg and moves to Berlin, and and her escape from that. And it was. It's really good. And she become. You know, she leaves the leaves the group and yeah. it's good it's your you know it's your typical kind of story like that but it's really actress is an israeli actress and i do love that and it's like mostly in yiddish and there's very few subtitles and so yeah. it's amazing like it's they're very cheap with the subtitles and then so you sort of get what's going on and there's it goes between english and yiddish but a lot of yiddish yeah. um and it was just it's great it's great yes I'm, we're watching a lot of tv I, I think you should watch the wonder years it's very sweet that you're trying that that's an old show it is for those nice. of you who weren't born you know before 1980 it is really nice it's show. really it's really cute it's really nice i would suggest west wing that's what i'm going to suggest to you all right we're, we're going over our finished our tv watching because this is an endless sunday that we're involved in which is going to continue for 30 more days yep. um which is amazing um but one of the things that's about this is that um, obviously the big headlines are about public health issues at stake and the, the, the extension of of the uh, quarantine ideas of the, the guidelines from the feds to April 30th now, uh, which uh, we'll see what goes on because the thing, the situation in New York is just terrible. Uh, and it's, and it's, 
expanding outwards from there. Um, but we, we everything is just changing, including being on the internet all the time. Um, let's talk about how the companies are dealing with added traffic and how this will change the conversation. Um, I think people won't be using as much traffic as before, but last week, the average time it took to download videos, emails, and documents increased. Broadband speeds declined 4.9%. That's not a surprise. Uh, medium download speeds have dropped hugely in New York, obviously. Uh, companies are trying to mitigate the issue. YouTube said it would reduce the quality of its videos uh, from high to standard definition across the globe. And Zuckerberg uh, gave a quote that he was just trying to keep the lights on, um, like he's a Motel 6, I guess, given massive volume and uh, working from home challenges. European regulators have pushed Netflix and other streaming services to reduce the size of their video files to save on bandwidth. In the United States, um, regulators gave wireless carriers access to more spectrum, which is interesting. That's always for sale. Um, Disney delayed the start of its Disney Plus streaming service in France by two weeks. Uh, AT&T's networks were up hugely. These data caps are lifted for customers. You know, it just shows how much we rely on the internet. And for those who do not have as good internet access, there's certainly, uh, they, they have issues around information and also entertainment for people who are sitting at home. So what do you think about all this? What do you think is going to happen with these companies? What's the play from your perspective? Well, it, we literally have, everyone talks about it, but it looks like we're, we haven't broken the internet, but we're definitely straining it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it, of course, it, you don't know, it, it's not a real crisis until YouTube and Netflix start sending content out in standard definition and, instead of high definition. That's really what you'd call right. almost like peak corona. It's, I, I wonder, though, if we think about the companies that are really surging here. I mean, this might be one of those moments where I don't know if we're ever going to go back. I think people have become so... I don't know what's going on in your household, but we're just literally, if you had electricity and people thought about, all right, what are the jobs that electricity creates? It's massive construction, mm -hmm. massive capital infrastructure, manufacturing to build everything from a nuclear reactor to a coal fire plant. If it's a coal fire plant for, to produce electricity, think about the mines, you think about the union jobs. You mm -hmm. kind of reverse engineer to millions of middle-class jobs. And if you think about the surge here, it sort of reverse engineers to a number of high paying jobs that are more around technology and information age sure. and a destruction of traditional jobs. So it's just everywhere you look here, it's sort of, I got invited on, um, uh, today's show has a Sunday morning episode and they asked me to do something from home on retail trends. And I was trying to think of, well, what's new here? And my only, my only sort of insight was the trends really aren't different in retail post-corona. They're just accelerating. And it feels like yeah, the, exactly. the one trend around income inequality where the jobs are, when you think about what's surging here, you know, whether it's pickup, if it's curbside pickup of, of grocery, whether it's uh, delivery of food, the jobs that will be destroyed will be replaced by fewer higher paying jobs. And it just feels as if that's absolutely happening everywhere that we're going to Everything we're worried about, income inequality is arguably one of the things that's been most damaging or made us most susceptible about this, about this virus because it's now looking like certain counties or metros in New York area that have been, are going to be the hardest hits hit are the ones that are sort of more middle or lower income. And yeah, this is what a surprise. And the technology that we're embracing, all the trends we're embracing are only going to accelerate that. So it's anyways, it's. It's interesting breaking the internet. Think about what would happen if our internet went down right now. That would be the virus attack. If somebody wanted to really take advantage of a society, oh, they would thank start you for cyber giving the thought, Scott. That's the that's way I think. That's absolutely true. That's the way I yeah, think. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
I don't think the internet can break down as a whole, but you're right. These, yeah, if there was a knows. huge, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think if, if there was a huge attack, it would be a problem for everyone. What's interesting is how much, how different the experience is. There's sort of the rich people's time on the internet right now, yeah. which is talking about Tiger King, no insult, but you know what I mean? Like talking about things they're watching and things they're doing, like doing dinner parties or cocktail parties yeah. on the online. There was a wedding. There was actually a wedding online uh, on Zoom. Um, and things like that. And then there's, you know, other people using it for informational purposes, but there's, it's a very different experience for people. One is this heavy entertainment um, and trading tips around things they're watching, um, which is meaning people that, you know, I was just thinking that like, even though this is difficult and when the 30th was added and everything's going to be extended, my kids are going to be home longer. I was like, oh God, this is going to go on. And then I realized how easy we have it here is sort of in our comfortable homes and enough money to see us through and, you know, comforts like the internet. Um, So it's, it's a very different experience and the experience that other people are having are, are just not the same, especially if they're not linked into the internet and know what's going on almost constantly. Well, a lot of people have to go to work. I mean, there's still people who yeah. are having to go to work that have, right. that just really don't have a choice. And it's, um, I mean, it just, it just goes back again. I do think that legislation will hopefully help that puts some money in people's pockets and helps them make better decisions or reduces their stress around the economic stress here. What, what I find or the biggest tension I'm dealing with, um, uh, with, with all these board meetings and companies trying to figure out what to do is the stress between uh, I've actually found CEOs have been uh, very responsible, and I'm really impressed by some of the leadership at some of the companies I'm working with and in terms of them really, their executive teams really rallying and trying to figure out what's the best thing to do and addressing the issue head on. Is this tension around when do we start the economy and when do we ensure that this virus is um, kind of stamped out and that we don't have a relapse? And And at the same right. point, there is a valid argument. I don't I don't like the argument, and I think people are going to err on the wrong side of this, but the argument around when do we, in fact, restart the economy and at what point does economic damage or lasting damage to the economy become a real issue? And what I don't like, I don't know if you saw the latest thing, but this notion of kind of A, B, and C cities where certain cities would come back online faster. And they're mm-hmm. really, uh, Bill Gates came online, and it's interesting, I would say one of the winners is Bill Gates. I think people are really turning to him for kind of thoughtful, sober information. He's very apolitical, which is welcome in this environment. But mm-hmm. he said, he's come out and said, that's a really bad idea, that you've got you've to turn the lights on and bleach every corner of this thing. And it's, there's, no, there's no place here that's going to be spared. And yep. you've got to approach this as a whole and not start making excuses. Well, Montana can open up again. No. I, I no, actually believe. But the, Go the ahead. point is, it doesn't matter if Montana. No, no insult to Montanans, but nobody, no, you're yeah. not going to change the internet. It's going to change it locally. You're not going to change the economy, you know, on a national level. I think yeah. the areas that are hardest hit are the big cities where all the economic value is in most of most cases. Correct. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's right. It's 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 the coast, right? But what's just I mean, we're definitely having two pandemics. There's the pandemic taking place on the coast where it's CNN and the New York Times, and anyone who wasn't concerned about this isn't reading the New York Times or isn't watching CNN. And then there's people who get their media from Fox who are sort of more like, well, we got to get back to work. And there really are two pandemics here. And it's it's dangerous and kind of strange that we, we no longer, Jonathan Hyde said, Ever since 9-11, we probably will never again have a shared experience as a nation. We'll each have our own experience based on our political beliefs, our tribes, our ideology. And it does feel like we're having two pandemics. But even 
I was sort of down this weekend. I think everyone has a little bit of what I call a, I don't call it a breaking point, but it all sort of aggregates and you wake up one morning and you're just really depressed and start feeling what I would call mild grief. You start mm -hmm. hearing about people you know that have it. You start, you know, your, your kids and your family wearing on you, your situation wearing on you, not understanding this. I still, I mean, uh, as much data as I try to turn to, I just still really don't understand all of this. But the thing that got me really down yesterday, Kara, was I was thinking about, you know, American exceptional, exceptionalism. And I'm guilty of that. I think early on I thought, oh, it's terrible in China, but it's not going to come here just because we're different and we're better. We don't have wet markets. Right. The flu starts in China and it ends in China every year. And American exceptionalism, there's just no getting around it. What American exceptionalism means right now, we have the most cases. We had the, a lot of time to prepare. We're, we're, you know, we are so far behind in what has been really the only thing we knew was the front line of defense on this, and that is testing. We've done one third per capita of the testing of South Korea and Italy still. And American yeah. exceptionalism right now is a reconfigured refrigerated tractor trailer in Queens where they're storing body bags. That is yeah. what American. Oh, Scott, you're in a dark place. The question. Well, speaking the of truth. that, have you been tested? It's the truth. Have you been tested? I haven't either. I, I would, don't even know how we thing. get tested. That's exactly right, Kara. I wouldn't know where the fuck to get tested. I'm a person with a lot of resources. I'd like to think I'm well read, and this is where America is right now. I have no. I would have no idea where to even start to get tested. And tested is the front line of defense. And we like to think we're so innovative. We like. We're still having all these conversations around the fact we can't figure out a way to get ventilators. And then we have the new czar, this guy, Peter Navarro, who's like the latest guy yeah. who's giving victory day speeches all over the nation and not offering any numbers. I mean, he listened to this guy and you're like, okay, we're fucked. Well, he's been an idiot for a long, long time. God. So, you know, he's been sitting along the edges, making a mess of everything else. And so now they've inserted him here. I mean, I just, you're right. Like thinking about the idea that you and I don't know how to get tests. Like it should be like, go, like we know how to get a driver's license. We know how to do blank, blank, blank. But I have no, there's no, like, here's where you go. Here's the link. Everybody get tested. And then once you know, what what do you do then? Like, you don't. So then what? Like, I feel, like, I feel like the response, I feel as if we're doing okay. I don't want to say we're doing okay, but we're doing as well as other places. But we like to think, and I believe this, that we really are exceptional, that America is exceptional. Yeah. Our spirit, our grit, our creativity, our generosity as a people, we really are exceptional, our economic might. But the harsh reality is a mix of a total delegitimization and deprioritization of funding our government and respect for employees. At the end of World War II, 5% of our employees were federal employees. Now it's 2%. We have no respect for them. We've decided to cut taxes over and over and deprioritize government and things like the CDC. We have this fetishization with localization where we leave it up to local states to make decisions, which is a mean of outsourcing funding and decisions that's resulted in a series of Joey Bag of Donuts health departments that don't know what they're doing, where people say, oh, Oh, cut, you know, we're not going to close the beaches as they did down here in Florida. Right. Yeah, Florida. You, you people down in Florida are really killing it. But it's so strange. So far, so far, and I've been obsessed with this site out of the University of Washington looking at statistics around this stuff. So far, we've actually, it doesn't look that bad down here, to be fair. So far, Florida doesn't look that bad. It doesn't look like we're on track for a, a New York or a Washington-like crisis. But there's just no getting around it. A lack of uh, a lack of leadership where we politicize everything, where we see everything as an opportunity to either make the president look stupid or for the president to own a campaign rally. 
a lack of coordination, this exceptionalism, narcissism, where we've decided we can't learn from oh, China. Scott, you're in a very dark I am. place. I'm, 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 I'm going to pull you out I'm right really, now. I'm not pull me. Pull you out. Grab me by the hands. Help me out. You're perfect. Help it's me perfect out. for our, our friend Pivot, who's going to help you walk you through yeah. your grief. Um, but uh, but it is, I'll tell you what we all have in common is the internet. We have the internet yeah, in common. There we go. There we, we have go. that. Thank goodness for the internet. Honestly, think, or maybe you wouldn't know what you don't know. I mean, yeah. it's the, the two things. So one of the things is the abilities. Speaking of being the government knowing things, as they do know, they're using the Wall Street Journal uh, had a piece about the federal government through the CDC and state and local governments have started to re receive analysis of the present movement of people in certain geographic areas of yeah. interest. Yeah. Um, the data is coming from the mobile advertising industry, which already follows you around. They have billions and billions of geographic data points on hundreds of millions of cell phones, um, mostly from the applications that yeah. track location, which everyone allows to have happen. Um, and it shows uh, which establishments, parks, and public squares are still drawing crowds so that they can stop people there. In one case, researchers found that New Yorkers were congregating in large numbers in Brooklyn's Prospect Park, which you could do by actually going into Prospect Park, because I was there a couple weeks ago, yep. and handed that information over to local authorities. Um, so, you know, they, the Lori Lightfoot in Chicago closed down lakefront trails and beaches. So should you get special notification if your data is being used in that way? And, and it, there is a public good versus personal privacy issue. Um, you know, how is this different in different locations? It's it's just interesting to, I think in times of emergency, it probably is a very good idea as long yeah. as it's anonymized. But I don't know. What do you think? Well, we've had this conversation a lot. And I, I come out on yeah. the side of, I still have a lot of faith, I would say, in judges and our legislators to, to decide, okay, do you anonymize the data? Do you scrub it? I don't think the folks at Google... Well, maybe the folks at Facebook, because they're just, they just seem to be psychotic to me or just so sociopathic that they would think they're doing the right thing and then accidentally forget to scrub the data. So I think Facebook is probably the organization you can trust least in the world right now, maybe with the exception of the GRU or someone that's an adversarial enemy, because I think they just totally obsessed with shareholder value despite the damage to the Commonwealth. But I think every other organization, mm -hmm. You know, my sense is in times like this that there it, there are risks that should be taken. It does warrant a special, I don't want to call it a violation of our rights, but I think during wartime, you know, and, and, I, and I don't agree with what happened during 9-11 in terms of violating people's personal civil liberties and targeting people or profiling people. But you and I have had this conversation a lot. I think exceptional times require exceptional measures. And I think most people, if they received an alert, you know how you get those amber alerts on your phone that says yeah. a car has been stolen or there's been a child that's gone missing? You know, sure. that's a violation of your privacy. I didn't ask for anybody to send me that stuff, but I decide during emergencies, it makes sense. And I think if you send people text messages saying, we would like to notify you about whether you've been exposed or we are tracking and maybe you let them opt in, maybe you don't. But I think most people at this point would opt in. I think people are more scared of the virus than they are a violation of civil liberties right now. Although the guy, that guy. Yeah, that's always the case. That happens all the time. And that you just don't yeah. know which one it is. So paint I mean, the that's, scenario that's, here. Paint what you're afraid of. I think it's that, that people overreach. What happens yep. with the Patriot Act? Everyone's yep. terrified. And so they say, yes, 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 please point. take away my civil liberties for a short time. But it, I think people overreach. And I think that's just the issue. In this case, there are other ways to do it. I'm, I'm actually testing one thing with, that takes your temperature all the time, which is a good way to understand if there's some difference in your health and stuff like that. There's all kinds of creative ways that we can monitor people with their cooperation. And that's all. I, you know, again, I'm on the same thing. It's cooperation. And yes, I can do it 
it and not do it in a terrified way. Explain to them, we need to do this because of this. And th- listen, these companies are in touch with everyone every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And they could, it could be a very easy thing on Facebook. We're going to do this. If you have an objection, you can opt out right here. Like that, perhaps that, maybe just do that. Or, or, or this will be anonymized. This will be, it's very easy. They're in constant touch with you. Uh, you know, I get more texts about when my FedEx package is going to be delivered than I would do on something like this. I got, like, I'm having a FedEx delivered today and I've had 20 notices. They could do it. They could do it. That's all. I'm just, you know, and then people can decide. I think it's just, it, it's, it, it, they always have, there's always some national emergency that requires for us to give us our civil liberties. And it just should be with the cooperation of people. I think most people would cooperate. And if people don't want to cooperate, you know, you can figure something else out, but I don't know. I just, anyway, we've got to go. Uh, I think it, 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 I don't, I think people right now are, will, will be willing to put up with this, but I think at some point, um, they do have to realize that they're being tracked all over the place and it's still a critically important issue, especially around advertisers, uh, who are just uh, totally misusing your data constantly. It just, I don't want that idea to get lost in this sauce here. Right. I think it's good that you're taking your temperature. I don't, I don't feel the need to take my temperature because I'm always at room temperature. Are you? <laughs> I'll tell you about it. It's a whole column in the New York Times of doing it. It's this project that's going How on. How do you at, do uh, that? UCSF. What did you wear or something? I, I, you were going to have to wait and read about it. It's really cool. Anyway, well, that's, uh, that makes for constant- compelling journalism. <laughs> you'll see. You'll oh see. God. You'll see. It'll be. You'll be. I'll talk about it next uh, week. Anyway, that's a page turner. Uh, it's time for <laughs> shut up. Listen, it's not Tiger oh Mama. Whatever the fuck. I, I see tiger. a Pulitzer in your future. Tiger. It's not Tiger. Whatever the fuck that is. Anyway. All right, Scott. It's time for quick break we'll be right back with someone who's going to help you feel better with a friend of pivot scott how are you and your spouse getting along in this quarantine uh well we have to figure out when the social distancing is over so i can let her back in the house but other than that that's my big joke that's my big joke I think I think they're <laughs> in the last uh, Esther about this, but I think relationships are bifurcating into two areas: your second and third order degree relationships that are getting closer, reaching out to old friends. And I would argue the first degree relationships we're all going through sort of a mild Stockholm syndrome, where we'll come out of this stronger, hopefully. But it's definitely there's some strains in first degree relationships. What, what would you? What's going on with you and Amanda? Everything's great. I don't buy that. I never buy that. No, we're getting along great. We are. We are nice to each other and we had wonderful meals. So anyway, we're going to have, we are, we can talk about it more. And Esther can ask us, this is Esther Perel. She's on the line to help. She's the renowned therapist and host of the podcast, Where Should We Begin and How's Work? She's hosting a mini series, a new mini series podcast called Couples Under Lockdown. Esther, welcome to Pivot. So tell us what, what your thoughts are, sort of your high level thoughts of the challenges couples and families are facing right now. So hi, Kara. Look, there's a number of uh, very interesting dynamics happening. For, and they're not going to be in order of importance, but each and every one of them is significant. You know, first, it's the fact that usually in a family or in a couple, you have multiple roles of which there is a location for these roles. There's a place to be the parent, there's a place to be the lover, a place to be the, the partner, a place to be the friend, the professional, the worker. Here, you have a collapse of all the roles in one one space and they are intersecting with each other all the time. Sometimes the only boundary left is the mute button on your Zoom. Mm -hmm. Then you have the fact that people are experiencing 
prolonged uncertainty, acute stress, the grief that comes with the world that you have known no longer being nearly as predictable and no one knowing really where this is going. But people don't mention it as grief. So what they have right. is different coping styles about how they deal with the unknown. Those who become, you know, clear organizers because it's as if order will provide a bulwark against the chaos of the external world and the one that is rising inside of us. And those who are wanting to talk all the time with other people and check in and have a sense of what's going on with everyone and those who are thinking that their partner is making too big a deal of it and those who are thinking that their partner is not cautious enough mm -hmm. and so you have this polarization going on around the way that people deal with fear with anger with with the preparations if you want to do to this impending disaster that is literally coming at us and then i think what your colleague described here which is also interesting disasters generally uh, operate as a an accelerator in a relationship. It means that life is short, mortality is hitting you, mm -hmm. it's like in the shadow right here, and then either people say, life is short, let's get married, let's have babies, what are we waiting for? Or on the other side, life is short, I've waited long enough, I'm out of here. And so we've <laughs> known that there is generally a spike in divorce and a spike in marriage and babies that follows disasters. Wow, this is so. Yeah. This is interesting. I actually got a divorce after I had a stroke, which was interesting. I did same make me idea. Think of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, you know, it was really interesting. It, what Scott was talking about was the idea of, and Scott can weigh in too, is the idea of grief um, and not thinking of it like grief. Uh, which I think is interesting. And then the second thing that you noted was that different couples have different coping mechanisms. I, there is there is one issue is my partner um, does like to read all the news and then wake me yeah. up by telling yeah. it to me. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to hear that what happened. You know, I don't want to hear anything but that which is which is hard to do. So we're going to talk about tips in a second. But talk about the idea of grief. I mean, it's the word that really will help us make sense of what goes on. You know, grief is not just about death in the physical sense. It's the grief that accompanies a worldview. And what happens when you have a plague, when you have a pandemic, is that the, the, you are reminded that the death can randomly exterminate you, you know, and it can throw your world upside down like that. Yesterday, they were still running in the park and today, you know, he's gone. We know it, but the level, the, fre the frequency and the intensity at which we're experiencing this right now. So there is the sense of the world that we've known. There is the sense of the routines that we've had, the relationship that we've known. It's that sense of impending loss that we talk about and with grief or what is often called anticipatory grief, because in some places it hasn't hit yet, but everybody is talking about it's coming, it's coming. It's this week away. It's like being in the beginning of a horror film where the and the characters have all been set up and but the action is yet to start or it's just starting slowly and you know that you're going to get really really scared so in the process of grief, you have different stages and different ways that people react. Now, these are not linearly laid out, you know. People go back and forth with each other and inside themselves or in their community. So you have the people at first that are getting into gear and began stockpiling and began preparing and knew it very early on. They kind of knew something bad is happening. And you had the other people that were considered in denial. Why? Because they said, this isn't happening here. This is happening elsewhere. 
this can't be happening here. And gradually people start to think, who is there? Where is the government? Where are the leaders? Where is the health, you know, the, med, the public health facilities and, and strategies worldwide that are meant to protect us against something like that? And so then you have stages, denial, anger, Bargaining, you know, you bargain, you create order, you think you're going to be super productive, you're going to work much better, you know, and then you realize that in fact your productivity is much lesser. People are all over the world, they're working more and they're producing less and yeah. they are using the very devices that used to keep us apart as the prime way to stay connected. But at the end of the day, they don't really want to call somebody else because they've had it sitting at a screen and they are exhausted. People talk about feeling exhausted. And part of the exhaustion is because you try to organize your life in practicalities and not think about the bigger issue, the bigger meaning of what is happening, which is we are vulnerable creatures. And no matter how much toilet paper you bought, you can only protect yourself up to a certain point. And that is a much more sombering, sad, less resilient American effort optimism kind of approach. Yeah. Scott, there, there, there's your there entry you point. Does that resonate with you, Scott? It, it does. And by the way, I just want to point out, you have, I just literally realized who you are. You have the greatest, and this isn't, this is a fairly high bar. You have the greatest single line of any speaker at a TED conference, someone you were describing, you say people come up to you and ask you and say, oh, you're the French lady that believes you should have affairs. And you said, no, I'm actually Belgian. <laughs> you have, anyways, I, you're, you're, you're one of my heroes. Your TED talk is one of the, I think, the more, more inspiring, interesting TED talks. So my question Thank is- Thank you so much. My question is, what are, are there any best practices if you tried to distill it down to two or three hacks or recommendations for being um, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be uh, gender specific here. How do you be a better dad and a better husband during a crisis like this? It's not when you're not used to experiencing crises with your family. Most of the crises I've gone through have been economic, and I feel as if I was either single or go have gone through them alone. This is kind of the first shared crisis. How do you be a better, a better man, a better husband, a better father? I think actually that, first of all, it's a beautiful question, and I and there's three different degrees here, right? So. Um, people are experiencing an economic crisis as well. People are losing the savings that they put together for their retirement. I mean, there is, there are so many different levels of the way that this is uh, entering our, our lives and our intimacy. But I think here this thing that we talked about, right, we have different coping styles. This is a given. And this kind of acute stress will exacerbate differences in families, among siblings, between children and parents, and in, in relationships. The first thing I would say is that, you know, it's very easy to then begin to criticize the way that other people do it, or to even see them as a threat. I suggest that with this more than ever, it's always a useful tip, but now it's really important, is that you look for the good things that the other person does. And you just magnify it. You constantly let them know that you appreciate what they're doing. And not just, oh, that's so nice of you to do the dishes, but really to turn it into an act of generosity. It's really kind of you. You're being very generous. You're being very thoughtful. You know, turning it into a description of the person and not just a description of the gesture. That 
actually changes the tone in the house when people start to feel irritable, they start to bicker more, they, they're on each other, you know, it, it's tight. It's tight not just because of the physical space, it's tight because there's a feeling that we are being choked in, not just in our homes, but with the, the, gre the greater meaning of the reality that's around us. And then, you know, take be able to nurture yourself. So if you need space, if you need time alone, if you need to take a walk, if you need to go in your room, if you need to put headphones on, you just pre you preempt and you say, I need some time in order for you to get a better part of me. I got a retreat at this moment. I need to step out. I can't be with the kids right now. Give me 10 minutes. I will be back. Make it very explicit. Actually, the way we teach children, articulate the feelings, describe the behavior, make a commitment and come back. And then vis-a-vis -vis the children, I think that this is a cultural piece, you know. Some cultures live with the idea that shit happens. Mm -hmm. Bad things happen. This We experienced this very much after 9-11, when my kids were in the school downtown and you had what we considered American parents who wanted to protect their children and not really tell them much. And then you had all the foreigners, the people from Haiti who had just gone through, you know, major disasters. There was like, what do you mean you protect? You basically tell them this is the world you live in and you teach them good judgment that you teach them responsibility and you teach them to think about others. So this is very cultural. I have to put that in brackets first, you know. But if you can, my stance in general is you actually talk about it with the children. You know, I had a conversation with an eight-year-old yesterday, daughter of friends of mine, and I just talked with her about the fact that, you know, she's missing her friends. It's not the same. I can't just, you don't go around convincing them, but we're lucky. We're in a good place. We're in a, we have at least an extra room. We don't rationalize with them to not give them the permission to say, this is scary, mm -hmm. this is uprooting, this is disruptive, this challenges the sense of continuity, this makes for bad dreams, and I feel it too. And I feel it too, but we will go through it together. That kind of conversation. Yeah. It's tr the truth, you mean. You're talking about the truth, Esther. It's the truth <laughs> distilled for a certain age, but it normalizes, yeah. it gives permission. If you don't give permission, you promote tantrums. You promote depression. You promote isolation. You promote people basically acting in deflective ways rather than just saying, I had a bad day. I'm, I'm having a tough time. And for couples, what's very good is to have check-ins for teams at work as well. Check-in, do a pulse check, stress Stress moment acknowledgement. How is it for you? How are you waking up today? Because some days you are more hopeful, you feel calmer. Other days you just feel like you're on edge. It's okay to do this before you start your meeting. It's okay before you get out of bed with your partner. Just a check-in, a pulse check. It grounds how, how, us and it lets us know where everybody is at. That's absolutely true. How do you do this online? Because everything is, you know, the, your family is right in front of you. Yeah. So it's in a very tight situation. When you're with work people, because everyone's sort of operating on screens, is there a different tip that you have when you are doing these checks or is it just the same thing? I can tell you how we have done it uh, at, uh, at my little startup here. We are 12. We meet. And then we just either say, who needs a stretch before we sit down again? And we get up and we stretch and we have the rubber bands, whatever anybody has at home, we just take a moment to stretch. Then basically we realize that some of us don't even know if the other people are in a relationship, if they're living with a partner, if they're alone with their dog, you know. And so mm -hmm. suddenly we actually ask, where are you? Who are you with? Who's taking care of you? Are there people you're taking care of? 
Who is responsible for you and who are you responsible for? And it suddenly gave us a map of where everybody went. People have had to fly back to homes that were places where they feel safe and places where they had to run away from. It's not always an idyllic situation. And then we ask, you know, how is everybody? We take the time to, to check in, actually, and then we go into the meeting. The meeting will not be delayed by anything. It's important to just say, how, how is everyone? Are there losses that we need to know about? Are there developments that we need to know about? And if your team is much, much bigger, you still say, you know, write it to us or put it in the, in the chat box or just raise your hand or who's having a tough day today? Raise your hand. You know, take a moment. Let's breathe together. Let's acknowledge this. This is not let's continue business as usual. People went home because the company said, you know, we're doing a drill. The drill never ended. They never came back. Right. Then it became a right. two-week thing. Everybody knew that this wasn't going to be a two-week thing, but some people didn't. And now nobody knows when they're going back. So don't pretend it's business as usual. It's not. Work from home is a little bit of an understatement here. It's a euphemism. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Do you see relationships changing kind of in a post-corona world? Do you think, do you see any specific type of relationships or the way we approach our spouses, our kids, our relationship with work? Do you see any, any specific relationship coming out of this more changed than another? So I would say that where I see some of the biggest changes actually is among the younger people. Like I have mm -hmm. a Gen Z and a millennial, and it's an incredible thing. First and foremost, they are for the first time talking on the phone. They want voice. <laughs> They want voice. Yep. They want some ex incarnate experience. If mm. I can't see you, if I can't touch you, I need to hear you. And I think that is such an important return. It's so important to reconnect with the voice. And of course, the, the, the viewing is important too, but the, the, the voice is the first thing you hear in utero, you know, and it's something that so many of the young people had lost. That's one thing. And then I think that they are also realizing in a culture, especially in the US, where you know, you're self-made and you have to cultivate self-love and you have to be self-sufficient and self-reliant and all of it is surrounding the self and self-help and self-growth and self, people are really realizing the degree of interdependence that, ex that we exist in. And it, I think it is changing a little bit a sense of, no, we're not just on our own. In fact, when we are on our own, we don't survive well in this moment. We need connection. We are connected to others. Our behavior affects others. We need them. And it is actually our greatest strength. It is the most important factor for mental health at this point is social support mm -hmm. and social connection. I think that the realization of that is very important. How long it lasts afterwards, I don't know. Because I was there during the 9-11 outpour of solidarity and it's not like it continued this way. There is a way yeah, in which so. it stays for a while and then as you start to feel safer again, mm -hmm. as you reconnect, you know, as you transcend the grief of the fear of the loss of security and safety, even if it's an illusion, you still think you have it, people go back to their normal ways. I don't know that we fundamentally change as a society. No, I don't. I, I think work will change. I think we are realizing that yeah. we don't necessarily need many towers with offices, yeah, true. but we are also realizing that, that we need a lot more in connection, real in-person connection than, than we would yeah. like to believe. 
It was interesting. I was watching a show and everybody was walking around Berlin and I was like, oh, look how close those people are together. Like I was like imagining not going, getting back into a store without washing everything, which is kind of, you know, like what will that be like? You'll get used to it. I think you're, is what you're saying, essentially. It takes time. But, you know, there is this it's very weird to relate to other people as pathogens or to think of yourself right. as a pathogen. <laughs> You know, I mean, we have always had a leopard in our society, said Foucault, you know, there's always been that dangerous vermin, virus, pathogen, and this is part of what is being, being activated at this moment. So how do you trust again? How do you not like, you know, go around thinking, you know, what's, what's following me now because I came too close to you or because you coughed or because I allowed you to enter my house and now I need to go and spray Lysol on my railing, you know? <laughs> Right, right. Oh, that's a fair point. I'd have one last question. When you have social media have being such a negative force for so long, and now it's a place where people are sort of letting off steam, or they're mad at Donald Trump for talking about ratings, for example, you know, there's a lot of political stuff going on. Is it a good thing or a bad thing to have this social media going on all the time? Because the, the people are reacting and to news instantly, whether it's, you know, it's often around this White House uh, stuff, but it's still political. Is that a good thing or should you turn it off? I think that it's both ends for many things. You know, you need it. It is the public square. It is the place where everybody comes to, to chat and to commiserate and to hear things. But it is also the place for gossip, the place for instant accusations and judgments and, 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 and lack of real ability to listen. On the other end, we need information. And the problem here has been that we have not been given clear information, not just by Donald Trump, by many other leaders in the world. You know, what prepares you for disasters is unambiguous information and clear instruction. We've known that. This is not our first disaster, you know. But I think that every person needs to know how to titrate. You need to know when you had enough. It's like when you've eaten too much, when you've drunk too much, you need to know when you are beginning to just lose your grounding. You're not going to sleep right. well. You're breathing more and more shallow. You're getting activated. Your jaw is tensing. Your knuckles are getting stiff. And you're beginning to like look at people and you're ready to, to bark. When you start to feel all that activation or on the other side, on the implosion, because some people maximize, some people minimize, you really need to titrate. And that means in a couple, people have different thresholds. Before you start to say, I just read this bit, you know, would you like to hear what I just read? Ask the other people, can you take in another piece of information? Mm -hmm. Don't dump on them because you have a, an, a, an infinite reservoir <laughs> that can hold so much information. And the other person is just going to need two hours after that to be able to breathe again yeah. into the center. Right. hundred percent. So just finishing up, give, give us three tips that people have mm -hmm. to do right now. Cause this is, is endless and people don't know when it's end. Give us three important tips that they have to do if they're in, you know, whatever situation they're in, um, that you think are critically important for that can affect as most people as possible. Right. You know, I've always, I mean, another line for you, Scott, that I have always loved is that it's the quality of your relationships that determines the quality of your life. Sure. 100%. And this is ever more important now. And it is true at work and it is true at home. Where should we begin? How's work are based on that premise. I think at this moment, be 
be some, be, I mean, it's going to sound very trite, but it's a little bit like be patient, be a little bit kind. Mm -hmm. Know that the people around you, they may look like their usual selves, but we are not. Mm -hmm. We are feeling vulnerable. We are feeling stressed. We are, have less patience and we can, you, you know, we can jump much faster. So be aware of that. And it's okay to say, I am not feeling well. I'm upset. I'm scared. I'm worried about my job. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on edge. Yep. Just n name it. Naming it will actually ground you rather than somatize it and then just deflect it into something else. And people are saying, what the hell is going on here? Number one. Number two, really, because you're so close, in such close proximity with, your, with, your, with whoever you're with, even if, you don't, if you're not in the house with them, but you are in touch with your friends or you take six feet walks with them and so forth, make sure to really acknowledge at this moment the positive. So mm -hmm. you acknowledge the vulnerable, you acknowledge the positive. It's very easy to go into reactive, critical mode at this moment. That's the second thing. And then um, I think the third thing is as best as you can move because trauma locks itself in the body and it freezes us. If you don't have an ability to go outside, jump, do jump jacks, jump rope, yeah. go take a walk if you can, but try to get your body in motion. And because we're working on the screen, we are even sitting more than usual. And then create very creative rituals of meeting with people, have dinner with other people. Don't just have dinner with your partner alone or with your family. Invite people for, for, for dessert. Invite people for a drink before. In, sit, for, for, sit for the evening, two hours, and just talk with people because it can become very hermetic. You choke on your own juices when you are all together all the time, you know? Um, take walks and then talk with somebody else as you walk, if you want. Just, but create these very impromptu, connective experiences with people. You know, um, we have a movie club, a virtual movie club. We have a virtual book club. We have dinners a few times a week. I take walks with virtual. some friends. All of it virtual, all of it. But for a moment, I'm outside of myself. I'm not in my house. I'm not in my reality. I'm not worried about my kids. I'm just talking about things. I discuss a movie for 90 minutes and life felt normal for a moment. Yeah. Those kinds of experiences, these life-affirming, you know, erotic experiences, but erotic not in the sexual sense only, but in what breeds aliveness, vitality, vibrancy, creativity, imagination, humor. All these things have, for all of history, helped human beings. We sang, we wrote poems, we fell in love, we, 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 we created antidotes to the feeling of death throughout history in order to keep ourselves going. Oh. That was poetic. That was very nice. Thank you. Poetic. Esther Perel, please listen to her mini-series, which sounds frightening, but obviously is not, called Couples Under Lockdown. She's obviously a renowned therapist and the host of the podcast, Where Should We Begin and How's Work. Esther, thank you so it's much. I feel so pleasure, much It's a pleasure. But Cara, just so you know, what, what? the couple in Sicily, yeah. that is the episode one yeah. for Couples Under Lockdown, I could have called them Couples Who Mate in Captivity with the title of my own book, <laughs> you know. And uh, now we have this new episode coming out in Germany. It's fascinating. It's not scary. It's actually, it, what it does is even if it's not your particular experience, 
you will relate and it will it it's the reason we read novels it's the reason stories have okay. carried us through so don't scare your audience it I actually... won't I know but lockdown <laughs> I promise I'll tell you I'll give you one tip for a lockdown have a baby with you because it's really lovely with the baby um I, mean, I just had There's a, a business baby. idea oh, rent yeah. a baby let's I'm, rent uh, let's yes. rent babies I'm telling you I'm 100% happier because I wake up that baby's yes, happy and doesn't yes, know anything yes, that's going yes. on and it's sort of fantastic because it's so life affirming to have a baby it is right so yeah, episode is one is the story of a midwife. Okay. All right. Who <laughs> we'll brings on babies well, thank into you. the world. <laughs> well, perfect. Thank you so it's much. A pleasure. Thank you, Esther. Really Best of luck to you. Nice right. meeting Bye-bye. you. Thanks. Bye. All right, Scott, one more quick break, and we'll be back for wins and fails. Okay, Scott, we're back with wins and fails. Was that great, Scott, or what? I feel do you so feel much, better? not only do I feel better, I feel so much more sophisticated. I forgot to get one of those Flemish it French accents. Isn't she erotic? Accents. You like the word erotic, Yeah, but when she you? says it, it, yeah. it seems you legitimate. Like said, I don't know, it just felt, all of that felt <laughs> very, I don't know, very Ted meets PhD meets, meets Europe meets, she's a very, by the way, have you listened to her TED Talk? I do. I love, I listen to Esther's podcast all the time. I think it's great. It's about, you know, I try to invest oh, in my relationships by doing the homework, my friend. Yeah, I know. Everything's perfect at the Swishers. No, it's not perfect, but I'm just telling you, I do listen to her because I think she's incredibly wise. We had her at South by Southwest last year, and I think it's really important. I think the most important of the many very wise things she said there was, it was articulating what you're yeah. feeling. Like are saying, I need five minutes. I need this. Stop talking to me. And I think that does really help it without being um, articulate exactly what you're feeling, not a sidelight of what you're feeling. At the yeah, there's point. a bunch of, uh, bunch of interesting observations. I'm, I'm, I'm observing my friends, and what I find is a lot of us are very focused on broader relationships. Like, how do I be a good boss? How do I be a good citizen? And sometimes at the expense of, well, charity begins at home. How do you be a better dad and a better husband? You know, it just sort of, there's, yeah. um, but you know what? You know who thinks I'm just doing an amazing job with my relationships at home? Who? Vodka. Vodka, Kara. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. She said nothing of liquor, Scott. Her. Now, listen. That's now that we've got you in me. a better frame of mind, that's sort of. That's me. So, so, so now you're like three feet deep right now, which is, I think, the, the most depth we've gotten from you. What are your wins and fails? What are This is an extra long podcast. Well, what I'll go fails first because I want to end on an optimistic note. I believe that there is going to be, I think we might be looking at, I think I'll start, I think Fox News or News Corp, uh, Fox News, which was not sold to Disney, it was it was spun out. I think Fox News is going to be sold under the financial strain of lawsuits. There are going to be so many interesting correlations versus causation and uh, data sets looking at what drove higher infection rates. And I've come to believe, and this is an incendiary statement, and I think uh, I think it's true, though, I think one of the things we're going to find has resulted in a higher incidence incidence of infection across America yeah. when you when you when you um, uh, test for income, when you test for region, when you test for age, it's going to be viewership of Fox News. When I look back on Fox News on YouTube, they have been so consistently behind. They have been so brazen in their recommendations around getting back to work, around going to the pub, around around promoting a narrative that has, in my view, been reckless. And I believe courts will listen and entertain the notion that it has been that it has been absolutely damaging 
to national health. I think what happened to the cigarette companies in the 80s is about to happen to News Corp. And that's my fail. And my, also along those same lines, a university, and I think this university actually has done uh, a good job. I think it's it, 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 it's not a university where I would teach, but I think they're going to come under tremendous legal scrutiny is uh, Liberty University in Kentucky, who has decided oh, yeah. after, I mean, I can't tell you, I've been on the phone with the dean of my business school, and they are spending so much time. Three weeks ago, they were talking about how do we decrease the density in the dorms? How do we make sure that our technology is up and mm -hmm. running if and when we move to remote? They were so concerned and on so on the right side of being cautious, thinking about things I never even would have dreamt of. And then you have Jesse Falwell Jr., Jerry Falwell Jr., calling people back to school and claiming yeah. it's a hoax. And they're forced. Did you see that New York that, that New York Times? She's a, I think she Elizabeth Williamson, who's amazing. Um, she's like someone off the record said, "We can't say anything because we work here, but please find a way to get us out of here." Like they're under like a cult or a prison, or it's really bizarre. That that place is one bizarre. Nobody can speak out, um, and it's run. And he's insane. Like he's he's just he's just a menace. I don't know how. Else to well, I, to be fair, I actually think the university's done a lot of wonderful things. There's people with different ideologies. They they've been great for the community. I think it's a university with actually decent. Uh, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. Probably decent academics. I, I think universities take different shapes. And unfortunately, in universities, we've decided that we are tolerant of people who don't look like us, but people who don't. Think like us, and even though Liberty thinks different than us, I think it's a university. I'm talking about not being I, able uh, to leave. No, I 100. I'm talking about my not. point. They're going to come under tremendous scrutiny, but my fail here is I believe that Fox is having its tobacco moment, and they're going to come under tremendous legal scrutiny. I would agree. I actually, oddly enough, I right in front of me, I have a, a, a an essay that I'm thinking of putting in the Times called "A Murdoch Ate My Mother's Brain." Um, and she, how much, how little information she had and how, how hard it was. And when those lawsuits came, I mean, I talked about it with my brother. I'm like, she is actually like, I, I'd love to see the emails internally. It's, if there's discovery of someone, if someone actually died, like who, who, whose parents have died or something like that because of this, and there's actual emails and they do discovery inside of Fox about what, how they made these editorial decisions it could be devastating. I think there probably are emails internally. Exhibit one will be okay. What drives mortality? We know it's we know it's age. We know it's how healthy yeah. you are. Underlying conditions, whether it's asthma, whether it's cancer treatment, we know that men are more appear to be more vulnerable. But we don't know. Again, we'll have to screen out if it's because men are less healthy or they smoke more, whatever it might be. But I think you're going to find that an indicator here or a signal is viewership of Fox over other media. Anyways. Yeah, it'll be interesting from a legal perspective, but I'd love to get the discovery on how they made their editorial decisions. And of course, I'm a, a journalist and it's sort of like, you know, they're gonna obviously use the First Amendment, which they they should use. But I, I can't imagine there were not very clear decisions made you know, it's interesting because they fired Trish Reagan and and they're, you know, they're they're doing things now, which is they've sort of shifted. Well they're trying to play catch around, up. but they but still here's are the, the good conduit. News. Yeah. There's there's still the conduit. They, they don't have the Donald Content Trump Decency Trump. Act. They don't have the same legal shield as tech, right? They they're they're actually evaluated oh, legally by the same standards as other media companies. They can't fall back to this. Well, they have the First Amendment. They have the First Amendment, and they should use that. It's going to be a defense. very interesting conversation. So my win, if you think about the vital organs, if yeah. you think about uh, how we live our life, I think if there was one place that embodied sort of joy and passion and what I'll call. Uh, throwing caution to the, no, I don't want to say throwing caution to the wind, but a, a passion for life. I think if there was one place in the world that 
embodied one of the wonderful things about our species and our culture, it would be Italy. I think the colors, I think the the, the beauty, the fashion, the food, the the emphasis mm-hmm. on family and and love and affection and beauty. Uh, Italy, it looks as if their curve is beginning to flatten there, and that while it has um, uh, almost a third of all the reported coronavirus deaths, it looks as if the lockdown is starting to work, and we're starting to see a reduction in the number of new cases and death. And it sounds, it feels to me like Italy is moving to the right side of this. And that's not to say that they don't have to be vigilant, but uh, I think we can all take comfort from the fact that a Western nation in a place of such extraordinary Mm-hmm. Um, beauty and grace is starting to get a handle on this. So Italy is my win today. I think that the first moment we see a Western nation uh, start to turn this thing back and flatten the curve, I think it's going to be an enormous sign of hope. And I think that that light is start, has been has been illuminated in Italy. That's a good one. That's a good one. I think we've taken far too long. All of the people in the West have compared to other places still. Um, and it, it'll be it'll be interesting afterwards when we start to count up what should have happened and for the future. Um, I think it's critically important to do that. Um, I'm going to do, uh, I'm not going to do, a, 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 well, you know, this obsession with ratings and Trump is weird and strange, and I hope it haunts him forever, the idea that his ratings are up because of death, um, which is sort of a little depressing. But I think I'm going to look at a couple of people. One was Yamichi Alcindor. Yeah. Uh, uh, just yeah. amazing reporter there. Uh, Bill Gates, I think, is being a really great voice. And, you know, he's talked about prepped. He's talked about this. I've interviewed him. He's talked about uh, uh well, this kind of well his TED talk i mean he basically uh, laid this out yeah yep yep exactly and so i think this is he's really doing a great job and you're right he's being non-political he's just laying it out but he's mm-hmm. still being firm he's like this is insane not to keep the quarantine like he's very firm he's a little fauci like mm-hmm. in that regard sort of threading that needle and but i think the 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna actually give it to um uh, San Francisco, because my brother just wrote me uh, from the hospital. He's there today. Um, he's been there since early this morning. And he goes, things are looking yeah. semi-stable here. I really think Newsom and London Breed, who's the mayor, Gavin Newsom and London Breed, the is the mayor thing. of San Francisco, the governor of California, did a good deed locking us down when they did. Still too early to say we are clear, but it's looking up, which yeah. was great. Yeah, California looks like they're you on know, the right side of that- this as well. California looks like they're Yep. Yeah, that's why he he thinks the governor and the mayor of San Francisco and the mayor of uh, Los Angeles, he's not in Los Angeles, but it, it did a great job in terms of being leaders, which I think was great. So that is a happy thing. When I got that that text this morning, I felt so much better. I'm very nervous about my yeah, brother's safety. Yeah. So it felt really uh, great. Um, yes. So, Scott, yeah, another week. Down. Hopefully we will talk about other things besides being <laughs> That's right. Stuff that's like right. That. But but we won't. So you go back to yeah. Tiger King, um, and and you have a good week. I hope Esther helped you through this a little bit, and that you're that you're that you're doing. No, this that. is an acceleration of a lot of trends. The major trend in my life is that I hate my life less and less every day. So as as is always the case, after forty five <laughs> minutes with you, I hate my life a little bit less, just a little a scotch less, a little Kara. bit less, a scotch, just a scotch less, a scotch less. Well, Scott. Enjoy your vodka yep. this week, but but get some time out by yourself. Get have a little Scott time. Have mm, a little Scott wow. time. Okay. Okay. Don't forget. Good enough. Little Scott time. Don't forget if you have a story in the news you're curious about and want to hear our opinion on, email us at pivot at voxmedia.com to be featured on the show. Scott, please read us out. 
Today's episode was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Our executive producer is Erica Anderson. Special thanks to Drew Burrows and Rebecca Castro. If you like what you heard, please download our podcast wherever you download podcasts. Tune in later in the week for a breakdown of all things tech and business. Well done, Italy, the home of grace and beauty and love and passion and also confidence in being ahead of the curve. They are kicking this thing's ass. Well done. <laughs>